67 down, 298 to go. My name is Chris. This is at a theater near me, the podcast where I go to the movie theaters every single day for an entire year. Today, I had a great discussion with John DeLeo. He is a critic and author. He recently wrote the book, There Are No Small Parts. Also going to be talking about the movies Marry Me and Oscar-nominated shorts in the live action category, as well as a box office and budget update. But before we go any further, are you sick of skyrocketing prices and vendors never having anything on the shelf? For 40 years, KL Jack has been the premier industrial supplier in northern New England. They are a proud family-owned company headquartered in Portland, Maine. They proudly distribute quality brands such as Lennox, 3M, DeWalt, and strong, durable, American-made Viking brand Dilbits and cutting tools. Head over to kljack.com right now and use promo code TIM10. That's all one word, TIM10, to get 10% off your first online order. Whether you have a job site, factory, diesel truck shop, power plant, school, or pre-cast concrete plant, KL Jack has the quality fasteners, abrasives, safety products, cutting tools, and chemicals you need to keep the cost down and to keep rolling. KL Jack has locations throughout Maine and New Hampshire, but they are shipping nationwide daily. You order it, they pack it, and ship it. If you are an electrician, plumber, or work in HVAC, this is especially a no-brainer. So go to kljack.com right now. kljack.com. Use promo code TIM10, TIM10, for 10% off your first online order. And now here's my conversation I had with John DeLeo. Okay, I'm here with John DeLeo, author of There Are No Small Parts. Um, I really enjoyed this book. Thank you for coming on, John. My pleasure, Chris. I'm happy to be here. So let's get right into it. Uh, I guess my, my first question is kind of what kind of drove you to write this book? Now, I, I read the book where I read the essays where I've seen the movies. So uh, if I haven't seen the movie, I've been holding off as a kind of like a treat for myself when I do go and see it. Reading through some of these, like Sabrina, for instance, that's something we covered on this show. You, it seems like you didn't really even love that movie, but you just love that part so much. Is What kind of drove you to, to write about maybe movies you don't necessarily love, but parts you do? Well, I guess um, I certainly love the 100 performances that I write about in the book, You know, all of which are in the movie for less than 10 minutes. And some of the movies I love in, in, in their entirety, and some I don't really like at all, except for these little shining moments, and some I'm very mixed about. So I just think as a, a writer of, a, of any kind of book of film criticism, it's more fun for the reader if the writer doesn't sort of love everything or hate everything. And there's a variety. You don't really know when you turn the page what I'm going to be thinking of this movie you remember. And so um, I'm not doing it just to, to uh, for effect, say, but I just mean, I just think it's more interesting if there's a variety of opinions, even from one person. So you don't get tired of me and say, oh, he loves everything or what a grouch, you know. So so I didn't want to, to um, omit uh, uh, performances in movies that I didn't particularly love. No, I, I agree completely. And that, and that is what makes the book interesting for me. I also love 
uh, when you talk about the performance, you talk kind of a little about the actor's career and you say, Hey, or the director's career of that particular movie. And you'll kind of, you'll give some pretty sharp criticisms, which I enjoy. It's always fair and it's never below the belt, but it, it is, it does make for a much more enjoyable read. This could have been like, you're, like, you're right. Like, Oh, this guy just loves every movie and every performance that does get kind of tiring. Um, yeah. <laughs> having that, you know, having that mix of, of it being a, a bit of a critique as well. That's what, to me, that's what brought it to the next level for me as, as a, as a reader. I, I really enjoyed that. Well, I think also when the movie is great and the performance is great, uh, that's one thing, but sometimes it's fascinating how in say a movie that I feel is not so good that someone could shine so brightly and that you could sort of pinpoint where this movie went so right. And so, so because it was a, 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 I had a variety of reactions, writing the book was fun because it wasn't always the same kind of experience. Right. Was there, do you have an example of maybe a, the movie you liked the least of these hundred? Um, well, there's a, there's a couple of what I would call, um, uh, outright clinkers. There's the movie from 1942 uh, directed by the great John Huston called In This Our Life, starring Betty Davis at the peak of her sort of uh, uh, supremacy at Warner Brothers. And it's a fairly terrible melodrama. And much of it is embarrassing and, and sort of idiotic. Uh, but Hattie McDaniel, three years after Gone with the Wind, in a two and a half minute role, um, and it's three scenes and only the last scene has any substance. So we're talking <laughs> way less than two and a half minutes. Uh, she has this beautiful scene, uh, with her employer played by Olivia de Havilland talking about how her son was arrested for a crime he didn't commit. And it sort of brings this movie to this level of simplicity and reality and honesty that kind of shakes you because nothing around it is anything like it. So um, that I think that's a fairly terrible movie. And again, it's a celebration of uh, Hattie McDaniel's ability. Absolutely. Um, was You mentioned those rules of 10 minutes or less. Is there anyone that just missed because they had too much screen time? Like I always think like Jack Nicholson uh, in A Few Good Men, but like I think he was on for like 12 minutes. So uh, yeah. I, I didn't know if there was anyone that's like, oh, I wish I could have had them, but they just... There were a couple of examples that I, I just mentioned uh, too in the introduction because I th was trying to think of ones people would think would be there and I had clocked them and they were, like you said, 12 minutes or so. And one was Jason Robards and Melvin and Howard, which I always think of him. He's just in the prologue and that is true, but it's longer than I remembered. And then a great uh, stage performance that went to film was uh, Eileen Heckard in The Bad Seed because she's got these two great drunk scenes and um, they're like two little arias and then she's gone. Uh, that clocked in beyond 10 minutes. So yeah, I was kind of strict. When it was really close, like 10 minutes and 15 seconds, I found you could shave off 15 seconds fairly easily in terms of, you know, anytime the camera went away from the right. person. He's like, yeah, that was fair enough. But, but if it got to, if it got to like 11, I knew there was no way you could. Uh, and the point is I wanted to stick to, what I'd set up because that was the point that you could do that you could, you know, sort of uh, take center stage with 10 minutes or less. So if it was 11 or 12, it wasn't exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I, so I'm sure you get this all the time, but I got to give you the two that I think should be on here that, okay. that are yeah. just misses for me. So, uh, Christopher Walken in Pulp Fiction, um, 
is there any re is that just not not a fit for you as far as that movie i know mo you know you do you go from like the 1930s to now um you do have a tarantino movie in here you have once upon a time in hollywood which i also love and you said the pacino role which is a, which is a great one for sure so i i don't know wh why walking maybe didn't make the list okay the thing is i did limit it to one performance per person because several people their whole career is essentially this kind of role where they come in for a few minutes steal the show and go on to their next movie so with christopher walken i knew i was going to use him for pennies from heaven in that's 1981 and that was the first time the movie audience really knew that he could uh, dance because you know he'd done dance work on uh, in New York on stages, but not yet in any film. And yeah, he wasn't dancing around in the Deer Hunter. No, no. And he's a knockout in Pennies from Heaven, which is a movie I love and a movie that was a big flop in its day. So any chance I get to talk about that makes me happy. So in that regard, I was aware of Walken having other you know potential ways of getting into this book, but I knew that was a that was a given for me. All right. My other one is Ben Vereen and all that jazz. So I don't know if he maybe just isn't in it for long enough. And I know it's maybe kind of a, some people might be kind of rolling their eyes. He just basically sing the whole time, but yeah. th he's doing a lot. So that's my favorite musical of all time. I think that's yeah. one of the greatest movies of the seventies. And I just think in that role, he's, he's mocking show business so effectively and, and yeah. so, so bitterly, but also he's, his, he is emoting differently depending on where that song brings him and Scheider. Uh, I, I just love that scene so much. That's I, I did not think of that. As I s say in the introduction, I, I apologize for the ones of favorites like this. Of one course, that, of uh, course, of course. However, <clears throat> that is a good point, though. I do include uh, like Ben Vereen's performance, two in the book that are musical and they have no dialogue. One is Lena Horne in Till the Clouds Roll By, where she only sings. And one is Sid Charisse in Singing in the Rain, where she only dances. So that was my sort of one singer, one dancer um, without dialogue. But yeah, Ben Vereen, and I'm a big musical fan, so uh, so I, uh, I'm, I will check that out. And of course I would have clocked it, so I'm not sure how it clocks, but uh, that's a good one. You might be safe there. The only thing, that song does go on very, it, I love it. So it, that is like one of the greatest endings of any movie ever. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I've seen that ending, I don't know, a hundred times. I just think it's fantastic. And, uh, but it is an incredibly long song. So you might be safe there. I didn't clock it before I threw that at okay. you. Um, <laughs> uh, so Kirk Minahan recommended this book to me. Um, and he had two that, that he brought up when I, when I was talking to him about it. And he mentioned Hal Holbrook in all the president's men and Alex Rocco in the Godfather. Now you have a rule in your book. You only have one performance in a movie, but Holbrook and all the president's men, I know you went with, um, um, Jane Alexander, I believe, yes. uh, and she won the Oscar for that role, right? She was nominated. Nominated, okay. Um, so Holbrook, though, is is very effective as Deep Throat. Yeah. Well, that's a, you know, some movies, and that's a good example, they're sort of stitched together by so many under 10-minute roles. You know, that's a procedural. So they're constantly meeting new people, and they're, nobody's really around very long. And, um, yeah, I mean, I've been a fan of Jane Alexander, so... Uh, and she was nominated and that again that was a, a no-brainer for me and uh she's someone i have also gotten to know in recent years and as you may have noticed on the back of the book i have a great blurb from her yes so um so yeah that uh i knew that movie would be in it and then i kind of pretty much knew it would be her 
and um, and The Godfather. Uh, again, I, I like to bring light to uh, scenes where everyone remembers the scene, but I know most people don't know the name of the actor. So when I got to The Godfather, I knew it was going to be John Marley, who's known in that movie as the guy who wakes up with the horse's head in his bed. Everyone remembers the horse. Everybody remembers the guy's screams. But I thought, how many people could tell you, you know, these people who've watched The Godfather 900 times could tell you that the actor's name is John Marley. So I wanted to, again, try to spotlight on a, a wonderful character actor who um, has this place in screen immortality, even if people don't know his name. So. No, that's fair. I, but I mean, Mo Green is such a great character. That's tough. You have some of these movies that you're right, that, are, that have... Because that, that, that movie spans so much time. They do meet a yeah. bunch of different characters. You could even say Luca Brasi could even have gotten, the guy yeah. for Luca Brasi could have gotten in here. Sure. And I think in a case like The Godfather, the person, often the person in these movies that stands out in a way that I wanted to write about was the, the person who's not in the world where most of the cast is in. So when you're talking about the gangsters, like who's your favorite, but they're all part of the same sort of fabric with a character like John Marley, uh, or a character, like I said, in Singing in the Rain, what Sid Charisse does is unlike anything else in that movie. It's that they're in their own little sort of unit, and um, that's why they jump out to me or how they make an impact without being part of what the basic thing of what's going on in this in this particular movie. No, that's fair. They're both more outsiders than, yeah, uh, yeah. than right than like another mobster, for instance, in, in Godfather. Yeah. Is there is there a part that is the embodiment? of this book is like, this is the reason I wrote this book. Like this is, you know, this, this kind of part. I think there, there are a couple, but one that always jumps to mind is a rather, it's a rather famous movie from the thirties, but it's a completely unknown actor. And the movie's Frank Capra's Mr. Deeds goes to town from 1936 starring Gary Cooper. And in the middle of the movie, which up to that point is kind of a, a really charming fish out of water comedy with the hick in the big city inheriting the money. And uh, what's wonderful uh, is that halfway through the movie, this homeless person or temporarily homeless person bursts into the mansion to say, are you kidding me with this frivolous lifestyle of uh, being on the front pages, feeding donuts to horses? People are starving out there and he pulls a gun and he breaks down and he apologizes and it changes the plot of the movie. So it's an actor named John Ray. He's in it for four and a half minutes. He changes the plot of the movie because Gary Cooper decides to give all the money away uh, to people who need it. And uh, so he's altered the plot. He's changed the main character's outlook and objective. And it's a scene that is completely dramatic, makes me cry every time I watch it. And I thought, isn't that amazing that someone could come into this wonderful depression era comedy and um, change the whole thing because of the power of what he was given to do. It's beautifully written. Yeah, I'm sure other people would have done well too, but there's something about this guy that is so moving and goes through so many changes within these four minutes uh, that I thought, I think that was, a, a one, that was one of the performances that was the kernel for the idea of the book. No, that, that, makes, that makes total sense. Um... Do you, have you ever thought about writing an anti-book like this? So, for instance, I, I read through the Breakfast at Tiffany's, and we both have the same opinion, I'm sure. Like, everyone does. Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's gives this 
Ter- bizarre, racist, terrible performance. I don't entirely blame him. It, uh, it you know, also is the director and, and the script yeah. itself is, yeah. uh, but it's so out of place and it is, it makes the movie so disjointed. It doesn't need to be there at all. It's, it's like you mentioned, like all of these, these characters bring a different level to the movie that adds so much. And it's a different like level of richness that you didn't typically have before. But with the Mickey Rooney thing is that does the exact opposite where it totally defeats the movie in some ways. I don't know if yeah. you ever thought about writing some of the worst before, because I, I would enjoy that book as well. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, it's funny. Breakfast at Tiffany's, it's so beloved in so many ways because people conveniently forget everything they should be forgetting about. They just remember what they love about it. The Henry Mancini music, Audrey Hepburn in the clothes and and all of that and the cat and all that stuff. But it is one of the most uneven movies where you think, wow, how did a director, Blake Edwards in this case, put this all together and think this was a unified film? (laughs) Now, in the book, I write about Buddy Epson, who gives a really beautiful performance with such surprising depth. You kind of expect this character to be one thing, and he's so many other things in in less than 10 minutes. And he's just in that one episode, his one visit uh, from Texas. And uh, but you're right alongside him in that when he (laughs) is Mickey Rooney and there's just so many elements to it, especially if you've read the short story where they really went off to give it a sort of, you know, candy colored ending, which was not a a Truman Capote's intention. But uh, yeah, wildly uneven, wildly. The book is There Are No Small Parts. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining us. You can get this book everywhere, right? Amazon. I went to my local Barnes and Noble and got it, but it's everywhere, right? Yeah, absolutely everywhere. Definitely Thank recommend you, reading it. It's it's a super fun read. Like you said, it's the essays are like I don't know three to five pages each, and it's it's but it's fun because he like I said he throws in some some fun critiques there along the way, and uh, I learned a lot. And I, I look forward to reading the rest of it when I get around to these other movies. It, like I said, it's kind of a nice little treat after watching the movie. I get to read a, a little essay great. about it. So great, glad to hear it. Thank you so much, John. Have a great uh, rest of your day. Thank you, Chris. Take care. Thanks. March rolls on. Of course, it is budget month. I did want to let you guys know about a deal I took advantage of on Tuesday. Uh, Landmark Kendall Square in Cambridge. Um, That's a theater I go to quite a bit. I went there on Tuesday for the Oscar-nominated shorts live action. I'll be going there the day you hear this um, on Thursday to see the movie After Yang. Um, I think I'm going there twice next week. I would say of all the theaters in New England, at least the ones that I've seen, they have the best collection of whether it be independent films, they'll also have some, um, yeah, I think they're showing the Batman. They're showing some uh, more standard releases, but they have quite a variety of movies over there. On Mondays and Tuesdays, movies are only seven bucks. Now you'll see deals on Tuesdays typically at cinemas, whether it be Regal, AMC, Cinemark, I think they all have Tuesday deals. Um, but to have a Monday deal is pretty rare. And then, you know, seven bucks for uh, you know a Monday night or Tuesday night movie, it's a pretty good deal. Um, so if you're in that area, that might be worth checking out. Like I said, it is budget month. Of course, I've now spent 2469. So I'm down now at a 3685 a day or 13450 for the year. So that number keeps dropping. Look, going to see a movie every day is a tough task, both 
logistically and financially. Luckily, with the help of Tom Treshock from CNA Financial Group, you can reduce your worry about the financial planning portion. Tom's approach helps show your big financial picture and finds ways to build income and protect wealth, all while maintaining your current way of life. To schedule a meeting with Tom to find out more, give him a call, 732-403-7747. Once again, that's 732-403-7747 to book your meeting. This information also will be in the show notes as well. Registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. CNA Financial Group is not an affiliate or a subsidiary of PAS. Okay, let's uh, quickly go through the box office report here from last weekend. Look, there's only one movie that really matters right now, and that's The Batman. $134 million in the opening weekend. Uh, was in over 4,400 theaters. We're talking an average of $30,000 uh, a theater. So just huge numbers for the Batman. Uh, Warner Brothers, I'm sure, is ecstatic. I know the the theaters were really happy. I know AMC uh, was, they tweeted out a picture of the bat signal, but instead it was a dollar sign. So like they were definitely really pleased with the weekend. I think they were also pleased they didn't get a lot of blowback from raising the ticket prices um, for that opening week. I saw the Batman, stupid for this project, but still kind of glad I went, not going to lie. Uh, number two, another movie I'm trying, you know, I was still putting that tier A is Uncharted. This drops down from one to two, obviously. It made 11.1 million. It had a 51% drop off, but I, I think Sony's probably still happy with that. I mean, look, the Batman is going to come in. It's going to just annihilate everything. So um, the other good news for Uncharted is it broke the $100 million barrier. Um, so now that's two movies that came out in this calendar year. The Batman, obviously, and Uncharted, each over $100 million. And that tier B, this is movies I probably shouldn't see. Uh, you have in third place, Dog made $6.1 million. United Artists, probably pretty happy with that. Up to $40 million now for the total gross in three weeks. And this is a movie that's Channing Tatum and a dog. I mean, this is not a, uh, a movie that costs gazillion dollars to make here. So um, pretty satisfactory numbers there. Number four, still still rolling on. Spider-Man No Way Home with $4.5 million. The Amazing Thing has only dropped 22%. I mean, this movie has such a low percentage drops every week. It's up to 786 now, $786 million in 12 weeks. It keeps chugging along. I know I think it's expected to be on streaming in April, so maybe that will finally draw it out of theaters. I, I don't know, but it's still doing very well, honestly. And now we're in kind of, I think, that next tier of movies where I can certainly go see them. Number five is Death on the Nile. I'm going to be covering this in the next episode. Uh, it made $2.7 million. But it lost 855 theaters. So this, when Batman came in, a few different theaters really took a took a while up here. Death in the Nile, Jackass Forever, Marry Me, The Cursed, and Blacklight all lost over 800 or more theaters, as well as Moonfall. So Batman just gobbled up all those theaters from those movies. In sixth place is Sing 2, made 1.6 million. I've seen that. In seventh place is Jackass Forever, made 1.4 million. It's over $50 million. Uh, didn't cost much to make. I think it's a win for Paramount, especially in this climate. I'll be seeing Jackass Forever next week. In eighth place is Cyrano, made $678,000. This movie is a total disaster. It's brought in $2.5 million. This movie cost $30 million to make. Um, so as pleased as United Artists must be with Dog, uh, they are probably equally disappointed with Cyrano. In ninth place is an interesting one. So this is a movie, I'm going to mispronounce it, Ganjubai 
Kathiwadi. This is a Indian Hindi language biographical crime drama. Uh, it is playing, I believe, at AMC Methuen. There's a so there were there's only one new release this week, and that was obviously the Batman. But there were a few Indian Hindi language movies that appeared in theaters in this area. I think as many as four different ones over the past week or two. Uh, so this was the only one to chart. Now it is interesting. I don't have any theater counts. I don't have. Uh, all I have is how much it made. It made $592,000, but I have no idea in how many theaters it was appeared in. Paramount Pictures International uh, released it domestically here. In 10th place is Scream. It's made $575,000. I've already seen that. Uh, and in 11th place is Marry Me. It's made $556,000. I'm obviously going to be covering that here shortly. Uh, that's up to $21 million. That's about what it costs to make. Um, but the good news is it made a lot of money internationally. Um, Obviously, it has Jennifer Lopez, but it also has Malama, who is a Colombian singer. I don't know anything about him, but apparently he's a pretty big draw uh, in South America. So uh, that's helped their box office as well. And I think they're up to 47 million worldwide. Now, I know they spent a lot of money marketing this, but it looks like it's going to do a little better than break even just with the box office. And you figure the fact that it's also streaming on Peacock, I'd consider that a, a nice little win. For Universal. So, uh, Marry Me, I, I, I think it's going to work out for them. Number 12 is Studio 666. This is another disaster. It made 342000 Two weeks out, it's made $2.2 million. In 13th place is the 2022 Oscar-nominated short films live action. Uh, it's made about 300000 this weekend. It's up to almost a million dollars, um, which is a pretty high number. I just think it's a situation, like I said, the only reason I'm seeing it is because there's not a lot of other options out there. And... I think it's taking advantage of that. Uh, it's appearing in over 300 screens. It was in uh, 350 screens last week. So um, not a bad showing for them. 14th place is the worst person in the world. 15 is the cursed. 16 is black light. 17 licorice pizza. 18 Encanto. 19 Belfast. 20 Moonfall. I've seen all of those movies. I do want to talk about those shorts and marry me. But before I go any further, I want to tell you folks about the amazing popcorn at Popped Gourmet Popcorn. Popped has a store in Salem, Massachusetts, but they also have an online store at popstores.com. That's popped, P-O-P-P-E-D, stores.com. Has over 100 flavors available. That's 100 flavors of popcorn. They have a full-time popcorn chef, comes up with new and creative flavors each week. So even if you checked out the website last week, I recommend coming back, checking it again. They also offer bulk popcorn, corporate gifts, wedding bags, and more. They can do almost anything and any size. And best of all, they can ship anywhere. They sent me over a bunch of flavors to try. Like I said, I mentioned I had the salt and vinegar. That was a big hit. I like that one the most. Uh, another one I had some friends and my wife try was the coconut cluster. They love that one. If you go to poppedstores.com and use the promo code movies with Chris, all one word, movies with Chris, C H R I S, you will save 25% off your entire order. That's movies with Chris. Go check out their flavors right now. Okay, let's talk Marry Me. So, this movie is actually not terrible. I did not hate this movie. Look, it's not good. The third act falls apart. But the first two acts, I'm like, this might even be a B-minus movie. It's not. It's going to get a C for me. But having Owen Wilson in this role made the movie for me. Um, if you don't know the story, it is absolutely ridiculous. But in fairness to the movie, they never shy away from that. Jennifer Lopez plays a character that's about to get married uh, in a very public ceremony to a another singer. And at the last minute, she finds out that other singer is actually cheating on her. 
So she finds out when she's on stage and she ends up proposing to and marrying uh, a regular guy played by Owen Wilson, who just happened to bring his daughter to the concert right on the stage. They initially say, you know, behind closed doors, hey, this is just going to be for PR reasons. Um, but then I'm sure you can imagine in true rom-com fashion, they fall in love. I'm not a big rom-com guy. I've had to watch a couple for Quantum Week. Uh, I've seen other, a couple other ones in my life. Doesn't seem like the greatest formula for me. So, may, you know, obviously not the target audience, but it was just kind of frustrating where the first two acts, they have pretty good chemistry. Owen Wilson and Jennifer Lopez. Owen Wilson does such a good job in this role where he's just, he's playing this very casually, but very earnestly. And honestly, I, I really, I really respected the choices he was making, even though this movie is absolutely ridiculous. He never once talks down or acts down to the material. Um, he's putting in his best effort. And it always feels real. And Jennifer Lopez, to her credit, she's doing the best she can with the material as well. She's not taking any scenes off. It doesn't feel lazy or like she doesn't give a shit. She's trying to do a really good job here. My problem is the script. Uh, that third act, it, it's the same rom-com thing every time. You know, first act, they meet. Second act, they fall in love. And then that third act, they need to fight about something and then get back together at the end. It's the same recipe, every single rom-com. And I don't understand why exactly. At least I, don't, I guess I understand why. Obviously, it's to make money to this audience that seems to like this. But does the audience still like this? Wouldn't the audience like some changes? They, these seem so, it's so formulaic. Why have them fight at all? Now, these two people are both seem to be relatively good people. Owen Wilson especially seems very adverse to confrontation. So when he kind of has his issues with Jennifer Lopez's character at the beginning of the third act, it doesn't feel real. It feels so forced. Uh, the conclusion is it's like crowbarred in there. And it's not really how the rest of this movie goes. I just may, why not have them never fight and maybe just have a different obstacle come up, but they stay together and they just work it out together. Uh, you know, the fun of this movie is seeing those two characters interact. You have a major pop star and a regular guy, you know, that's enough. We don't need to have a fake argument or a misunderstanding or any other bullshit. You see in these rom-coms come between them. Like, I imagine this rom-com audience is a little bit more sophisticated than movie studios give them credit for, and that I'm sure you could have a different type of resolution at the end of these, and people would be just as satisfied. And people are going there because they love Jennifer Lopez, and they want to see uh, her and Owen Wilson get together. Uh, so why, why have that? I, I don't get it. But having said that, though, and this is an indictment on the year, this is the fifth best movie I've seen come out in 2022. Number one is Get Back. That's the Beatles rooftop, rooftop concert. Number two is The Batman. Three is Scream. Four is Breaking Bread. That was the documentary of, about the Middle East and, and cooking. And in fifth place is Marry Me. And it's not, it's fifth place with a bullet. I mean, it's substantially better than what I have in six, which is The Sky is Everywhere. Like I said, that's more an indictment on how terrible the movies are this year. But um, I've seen, you know, I've seen 15 movies this year. This is the fifth best. Um, so Marry Me, uh, not particularly great but you could do a lot worse. Um, you know, if your wife or girlfriend's a huge rom-com fan and this is on Peacock, you can check it out right now. It is, it's available. You know, it's not, it's not the worst night of watching a movie. I'll probably forget about it like a month from now. And it's the only thing is you only remember is Owen Wilson's performance and just how bizarre the, the concept is. But beyond that, there's not a lot there, but for the moments you're watching it, you could do a lot worse. Uh, the 2022 Oscar nominated short films. This is the live action. So this is a little better than the animated short films, but I will say all of these are good. This is going to get a B minus for me. And 
all of these are about a B minus. It's hard to say one is significantly better than the others. Um, I guess the best one is a movie called, it's the first one, On My Mind, out of Denmark. And it's about a guy that's in a bar and he demands on singing a certain karaoke song. That one's probably the best of these. These range in length, by the way, from 12 minutes to 38 minutes. The second one was Please Hold. Uh, this is a this is the only one from the U.S., uh, this is interesting. It's a huge message hammer, but they don't shy away from it. It's about a guy in the near future who gets arrested. He doesn't know why, but he's arrested by drones. And when he tries to, and the, the jail is, all, everything's automated. The prison's automated. And then even trying to pick out a lawyer, he has to deal with like an automated screen and help desks. And, and it just kind of goes to show like what happens if you're wrongfully in prison? How do you, how do you deal with that when there's no human beings to speak to? The next film is The Dress. It's out of Poland. Uh, it's about a dwarf a woman that's looking to fall in love. She's played by Anna. I'm going to just pronounce her name. Zydzuka in a very good performance, uh, a heartbreaking performance. Uh, this is quite good as well. This is probably the second best of these. The acting performance is amazing. Uh, th that's one to check out as well. These next two movies, The Long Goodbye and a movie called Take and Run, both start one way and then have a very dark turn uh, during them. The Long Goodbye stars Riz Ahmed. He's from uh, Nightcrawlers, and uh, he's, he was the lead in The Sound of Metal last year. Uh, he co-wrote this uh, and produced it as well. Uh, it's very good. It has kind of a bizarre ending. It's a little... I kind of know what he's trying to do there, but I didn't 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 quite work for me. Um, but the performances are very good, and it was one of the most intense things I've seen in a while. And then Take and Run, this is out of Switzerland. This is the longest short. This is 38 minutes. As I mentioned, has a very dark turn about halfway through. The read here is Alina Terdamatova. I'm probably mispronouncing her name. She's very good here. The performances in all of these shorts are just exceptional. Every one of these shorts has some really, really, really good performances that are much better than you see, honestly, in most feature films. Um, so you know, if you're a big fan of checking out some really interesting, dramatic performances, that's why you watch movies, then check these out. Uh, I said it, some of them can be obviously a little message hammery. It's good. You're going to be hard pressed to find better performances uh, in, a, in a two hour period than than the five of these shorts have. Uh, I'm going to give this a B minus. Okay, I'll be back on Saturday with Death on the Nile and After Yang. Talk to you folks then.